0: I'm
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Farnoosh Tarabi, who has come out with a new book called Psych Yourself Rich. Welcome to the show, Farnoosh.
3: Thanks for having me, Jordan. Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you. Let's start a little bit with a little bit of your background and why you wanted to do this book.
3: Sure. Um, well, you know, I've been working in personal finance for the past almost 10 years. Um, I've worked for Money Magazine and done a lot of news reporting for both, you know, print and television on, you know, all the sort of economic and financial issues affecting Americans on a day-to-day basis, um, but I had the opportunity last fall to work on a show called The Bank of Mom and Dad, and what that show was, a great show uh, aired on SoapNet produced by BBC America. Um, it kind of exposed the, the debt-ridden lives of young women, particularly in America, um, and uh, the, the, you know, the credit card debt that they amass and the student loans and the car loans. Uh, Sort of trying to keep up to a certain lifestyle, and um, the parents were the other part of the show who were, for the large part, totally in the in the dark about how extensive their children's debt levels were. So the show kind of has this reveal in the beginning where the daughters uh, expose how much debt they're in, and the parents um, think that that their daughters are maybe in a few thousand dollars worth of debt, and then oh my gosh, it's actually twenty, thirty, or sixty thousand dollars in debt. And then I kind of acted as as the, media, the, the money coach in the show, kind of like the nanny where she walks into a scenario and kind of picks out you know, what's wrong and, and gives kind of orders for the rest of the week. And what I found through uh, working with a lot of these young women in particular and sometimes young families was that it's not about the money. You know, it's, it's really always about the emotional trauma or the lack of confidence or sometimes overconfidence or just lacking the motivation to get from point A to point B. They know all about interest rates. They know all about needing to pay your bills on time. They know not to, you know, take on more than they can carry. But um, the, the problem is never about the money. It's always about, you know, some, something deeper, uh, emotional, mental. And so that's where Psych Yourself rich enters. You know, it kind of looks at money, not necessarily in a dollar-cent kind of way, but how our relationship with money affects how we manage money and how our um, emotions ultimately can get in the way of us being able to make really good decisions with our money. So that's the background.
2: You say that we're living in kind of a, or many people are in a behavioral bubble, as you call it.
3: What do you mean by that? Well, sure. So the idea is that, you know, our our decisions are influenced by sometimes our environment but also things that are just behaviorally um, problematic. So as humans, and I know you've done a lot of research in this area, you know, we tend to have cruxes. We fall back on certain behaviors that don't necessarily help us with our our finances. You know, we can talk about behaviors such as following the pack, following the herd. We saw that happen with the housing bubble um, where people just bought homes assuming that prices would never drop assuming that interest rates would never go up and assuming that the economy would always be on you know on uh not on shaky ground and then you've got the sort of the behavior of for example being compulsive and impulsive um wanting to live up to the joneses you know that all of that sort of um the rat race of life i think is something that is humanly behavioral i mean i think um when we talk about, for example, delaying gratification, who would really want to do that? I mean, that's... That's no fun, and I think that while some would call that irrational, um, you know not delaying uh, by, by not delaying your gratification, sort of buying with your credit card when you can't have the money, but I think ultimately it's it's human nature to want something now versus tomorrow. and unfortunately there's a consequence, but we don't think about that. So these are all sorts of the behaviors that we have that have uh, kind of become and inflated into this bubble that um, is ultimately not to our benefit most times. But I think that, you know, what I try to teach people is that it's not about ignoring your emotions or ignoring your behaviors. It's the, it's the complete opposite. It's about understanding who you are as a person, what are your fallbacks, what are your sort of, you know, your, your crutches, and working with, within that, you know, trying to achieve your goals, understanding what your strengths and weaknesses happen to be
2: you talk in your first chapter about personalizing rich and rich being a paradigm shift. What kind of emotional paradigm shift do you need to do to really become rich?
3: Well, to understand, I think the definition of rich since the recession began, and the recession is technically over, but I think there's still a lot of emotional residue from the the recession. People are still kind of up in arms over what to do. They don't have jobs. They're emotionally... um, you know, just overwhelmed, but I think to really embrace rich, you need to look at that as not just accumulation. It's not just material wealth. It's not just the paycheck that you get every month. It's it's a feeling. It's a sense of security, and we know there are many, many Americans who achieve great heights of, of richness and wealth, uh, but it's very easy to lose a grip on that if you don't have the sort of um, Devotion to being secure, in other words, having savings, having insurance, having a system that works for you that protects your money, trusting the right people, um, having communication with, you know, your partner or your spouse about your money, making sure that you're always trying to keep an eye on your goals, all of that. Equates to security, and, and it, but it's not the sexy part of managing money, right? It's not the sexy part of rich. Um, for for till till today, I think if you lo- you know watch TV and you read through the magazines, I mean, rich is still about a sense of accumulation, although I think less today than, say, before the recession began. I think that Americans, and this is interesting because Bank of America did a survey at the beginning of 2010 um, looking, examining at people's, um, you know, idea of, of wealth as they approach retirement. And they asked their wealthiest clients, you know, what is important to you in retirement? What do you need to be happy? Whereas before... Some of the first answers that would come out of people's mouths were, I need to achieve a certain dollar amount. I need to achieve that number, right? Now the conversation has turned to, this is the kind of life I want. I want to be close to family. I want to be working. I want to be doing something that is fulfilling. It's more about, um, again, the feeling, the lifestyle, the setting, as opposed to chasing that dollar figure, which is still important. I mean, you need money to retire well, but the focus is not... not all on that, which I think is very healthy.
2: You talk about establishing goals. Uh, Do a lot of people not set goals, and what are some ways that people can establish realistic goals?
3: Sure. Well, I think goal setting is something that we all aspire to do, and it's the beginning of a new year, so we're all naturally going to be making New Year's resolutions. The hard part is sticking to the goals. Um, And and, and to answer your question, how to make them realistic, you have to understand that your goals and your obligations are two separate things. Um, When you make goals... It cannot be without living up to your obligations, such as you know paying your mortgage, paying your car payment, putting food on the table, you know saving for a rainy day. All of those are your obligations. You know, if your goal this year is to save money, that's not a goal. That's an obligation to yourself. It's still something to aspire to do, but it should take more precedence than just a goal. A goal is something that. Um, Speaks to where you want to be in the future, um, professionally, personally, career-wise. Um, that uh, you know that takes into account all of your obligations as well. Something that may be unrealistic, for example, is someone who says, and this is an example from Bank of Mom and Dad. You know, a young woman living in New York City in her early twenties. I want to be an actress. I want to be rich. Well, that's great. But, do you you know, are you paying your bills? You know, what's with your credit card debt? Um, are you able to provide for yourself beyond this goal that you want to achieve? So that's when you can really have a reality check. When your goals conflict with your obligations, that's a problem. So ideally, you want goals that... Um, that kind of can grow from what you have on your plate right now. It's something that you can work towards given all of your day-to-day obligations. Does that make sense?
2: That makes sense a lot. Uh, we're going to take a break, but before we do that, give people a website where they can find out more about you and your book.
3: Sure. You can go to psychyourselfrich.com. Um, if you can't spell that out because sometimes it's, uh, it's a very long wo- word once you mix it all together. But uh, you can go to farnoosh.tv.com. And that's going to take you to the same site, and you can learn all about me and the book on those two websites.
2: Terrific. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Farnoush Tarabi, whose new book is called Psych Yourself Rich. We'll be back after this.
0: the market's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network
2: hi this is jordan goodman host of the money answer show I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 one six three four that's eight hundred seven zero seven one six three four and don't delay because spaces are limited
4: And listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sanjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business.
0: Voice America Business Network. The bottom
2: line in business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this half hour is Farnoosh Turabi, whose new book is called Psych Yourself Rich. Welcome back to the show, Farnoosh.
3: Thanks for having me, Jordan.
2: You talk about having a money philosophy. What do you mean by a money philosophy and how are you supposed to uh, create one for yourself?
3: Sure, well, A money philosophy, you can call it whatever you want. I've chosen to call it a money philosophy, but you can also call call it a money commandment, um, um, sort of a testament to how you want to kind of live your life financially. And you don't have to have just one. You can have several. Um, What I like about philosophies, you know, we have philosophies about a lot of things in life. We have philosophies about work, relationships, um, dieting. Um, So I wanted to relate that to money so that people can have Rules of thumbs to help them keep on track with their goals and to keep them um, kind of guarded from some of the temptations that might derail them from achieving their goals. So you know, and and your your commandments your or your philosophies can change over time as your life changes and as your needs change. But you know, I think that it's important to at least come up with three or three to five you know bold statements that really describe not only. Um, how you want your financial life to exist, but really speak to your goals as well. So, you know, easy rules of thumb like I will always pay myself first before I give any money out this month or any month. Or if you're in a relationship, you know, a good commandment could be we will always talk about money purchases above, you know, $200 or $150 keep you in check with each other and you know again communication is a big part of financial security um you know you could have another financial philosophy that says you know i will work hard and play hard and spend hard and and that could be your philosophy but of course if you lose that job that's when that philosophy might have to change a little bit or you kind of put that to the sideline and look at another philosophy that you might have which is if i lose my job i will do what it takes to make my rent i will roll up my sleeves Personally, I would clean toilets. There is no end to what I would do to make sure that my financial obligations are met. I mean, at least let's keep it legal. But you know what I'm saying. It's, <laughs> it's a it, These are, I think, healthy kind of philosophies, commandments. Look, at the end of the day, the goal of psych yourself rich is to make money tangible, make it realistic, so you can. And the way you do that is, you got to start thinking about it on a day-to-day basis, um, not just thinking about it when you're in sort of a money nine-one-one situation or when you know uh, things go awry. You want to think about money when times are good as well, so that you can reflect on all of this and really move forward steadily Um, and so that's kind of a philosophy again you want to think about what your goals are um, what is your definition of rich and the philosophies will naturally develop
2: in addition to all of the talk about philosophy and goals you have some very practical things in this book as well Uh, you've got a chapter saying to organize don't agonize and we don't have time to get into it but what is the key things people need to do to organize their financial life to support what you've been talking about so far.
3: Sure, well the first step is just, it's not about the file folders and labels, it's really about what's in your head. Take in a, a, a kind of an inventory of yourself and your goals, make sure that you're not being distracted by anything that might be quote-unquote drama in your life, that's kind of cluttering your ability to really, or clouding your vision to be able to organize and really proceed with your financial life. So if you're in a bad relationship or you hate your job or you have emotional issues, you need to address that because you can't really practically get on with your financial organization if you don't have it kind of worked out in your head already. Um, so that's the first step. But then after that, of course, you've got so many things at our fingertips. I, am for one, i am a big fan of... Uh, The the Container Store and Staples and Office Depot and all those folks, you know, because there's so much out there that can help us personalize our finances and make everything um, orderly and in its place. So make sure that, of course, you have a system, whatever that is. I like file folders. I like accordion folders. I like boxes with labels. Have a money zone in your home where you dedicate all of this stuff to. And in that money zone, don't just have your financial paperwork, but also – Kind of, you know, frames of what your goals are, uh, inspirational quotes, um, pictures that you've cut out of magazines. Have, a, have sort of a, um, a wall of, of goals, a wall of aspiration, inspiration. I mean, visualization is a huge behavioral p- uh, technique. Athletes use it. Um, CEOs use it. You should use it to help you achieve your goals. Make sure you're automating. I mean, that is the quickest, easiest way to reduce stress. And make sure that you're paying your bills on time every month. And not just your bills, but yourself. Automate your savings from your paycheck. So every paycheck you get, you know, whatever, 10% or 15% or more directly to you and to your 401k and your other retirement accounts. Um, So these are the sort of things I talk about in that chapter.
2: You also talk about being your biggest advocate and getting people to help you in various areas. What do you mean by that?
3: So important I think this is a, again it could be a philosophy of yours that I will be my biggest financial champion my own advocate because the fact is no one cares more about your money than you everyone else in the world would love to get their hands on your money it's your job to protect it and yes we have the federal government yes we have the Consumer Protection Agency yes we have the Better Business Bureau but at the end of the day they're busy and it's your money so you need to be your biggest advocate you need to ask the right questions, you need to read the fine print, and and realize that there is help out there for you. People may not come knocking on your door saying, hi, I'm a credit counseling agent and I can help you. You need to go out there and seek out these resources. I was on the Today Show uh, last week and we were talking about, you know, what to do if you, you your you know unemployment benefits have expired and you still got bills to pay, well, there are numerous social service organizations and agencies that can help you. Go to unemploymentlifeline.com, for example, and you can from there look at what are some of these agencies that can help you with food and and your transportation bills and your utility bills, and if it's FHA approved, the organization maybe even your housing and your mortgage. So there are resources out there for us. It's just our responsibility. Really, I truly believe it's our responsibility to, to go out there and be proactive and not wait and sit for the government to give us a handout.
2: You have a whole discussion of what it means to be worthy, and uh, what people feel worthy and unworthy. How, how do you know what's to be worthy for sure?
3: Well, first, it has to make financial sense. I mean, you have to have the money. So that's the first. And I think um, this is where this chapter takes it a step further. When we talk about affordability, we often just crunch the numbers and go, oh, great, I have the money. It's done. Not necessarily. I mean, you have to make sure whether if it's worth it, it has to not only be affordable, but it has to be meaningful and it has to give you some sort of return, whether it's an emotional return, a financial return, or both, which is better. Um, You know, it has to make sense in the grand scheme of your goals, your five-year plan. You know, if you want to buy a car um, and you set a budget and you can afford this, you know, I bet there's going to be some kind of trade-off unless you've got so much cash it doesn't even make a dent. But everyone, whenever we make a big financial decision, whether it's buying a house, a car, going back to school, starting a business, there will be trade-offs. In other words, what's going to give, what do you have to take from another bucket in your life, another financial area to afford this thing? And, or this experience, and if that, if you can look at that and think, okay, well, it's still worth it to me because either I'm going to get a real big emotional benefit from this or I think it has great return, then it is truly worth it, capital W.
2: You end the book by talking about embracing the entrepreneurial spirit. A lot of people see themselves as employees, not entrepreneurs. So how right. should people embrace the entrepreneurial spirit?
3: Well, you can still be an employee at a big company or a small company and still embrace the entrepreneurial spirit because what that ultimately means is that you think out of the box. You are proactive. You have, with this one job that's great and secure, maybe some other revenue streams that you're in control of. You might be freelancing on the side. You might be having a small business on the side. This is all This is the future, Jordan. I mean, we are in an environment right now where we've got more than 15 million Americans unemployed. I don't think we're all going to get jobs in the next year, you know? I really think that employers, through all this, you know, trimming down over the last three years, they have learned how to be lean and mean, and they have transformed the way they do business. They have restructured. They may not need the people anymore or the positions anymore that they've gotten rid of over the last two years. So, for the existing unemployed workers out there, it's all about recreating, it's all about reinventing, and that is what an entrepreneur does. I mean, and some go to the extreme, some become the next you know, Martha Stewart's of the world, and others do it in their own way that's on a smaller scale, but, but at the end of the day still adds to their financial and career security and happiness.
2: Indeed. Well, thanks so much. Farnoosh, give people again your website and uh, how they can reach you and find out more about the book.
3: Sure. You can go to psychyourselfrich.com, or you can go to Farnoosh, that's my first name, dot TV.
2: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Farnoosh Turabi. Her new book is called Psych Yourself Rich, and we'll be back after this.
0: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. environmental topics are at the forefront of our society and the green talk network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle we will help promote a variety of ideas on the environment from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities be a part of the solution not the problem visit the green talk network
2: page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green hi this is jordan goodman host of the money answer show I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634 that's 807071634 and don't delay because spaces are limited uh, who is the editor of the Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Technology Stocks uh, newsletter. Um, he'll be joining us soon, talking about the whole market for gold. Gold has had an amazing uh, rally uh, last year or so. Uh, it started about 1000 It's now up to about $1,400 an ounce. Uh, the feeling, basically, is that a lot of people are uh, thinking gold is going to go much higher because of all the government uh, printing of money, uh, the so-called quantitative easing that's happening all the time. And uh, there are a lot of uh, individual ways to play gold, uh, certainly individual uh, gold mining, uh, uh, actual gold coins, uh, either numismatic or bullion coins. Uh, there's also uh, gold mining shares, uh, which uh, Jay is actually an expert in, uh, which are uh, either the, the large mining companies like Barrick Resources, um, Newmont Mining, uh, Anglo Gold, uh, or there are a lot of junior mining gold golds, uh, shares as well uh, that he is an expert on. Um, and uh, they have much more leverage to gold than uh, gold itself because uh, when, when uh, gold goes up, uh, their costs are pretty much fixed, but their uh, uh, revenue goes up dramatically. And therefore, their profit margins widen, and the stocks tend to move uh, dramatically on that. Um, So uh, gold has done very well. Silver has actually done even better uh, because uh, silver um, has kind of industrial uses, but it also has monetary uses. And uh, silver in the last year has gone from about twelve dollars an ounce to now over thirty dollars an ounce. And A lot of people think silver has an awful long uh, way to go. Uh, And again, you can buy silver coins. There are uh, eagles and various kinds of bullion silver coins. Uh, But they're also Uh, silver mining stocks that have done uh, extremely well uh, also, uh, not only here but around uh, the world. So Jay is an expert on uh, silver coins as well. Uh, While we wait for for Jay to come on, uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about him. He worked uh, for Barclays Bank in New York for a long time, um, and he's kind of researched uh, gold and uh, junior mining shares for a long time. In 1981, he started publishing the North American Gold Mining Stocks newsletter, uh, and then he started studying geology at Hunter College uh, and then got an MBA at Baruch and then uh, has been working in the metals and mining group at ING Bearings in New York. Um, and he was also involved in making uh, gold loans uh, as well. Uh, he has a um, uh, newsletter called gold, and Energy, uh, Techno- gold Energy and Technology Stocks, uh, which has been around for about 30 years uh, at this point. Uh, Jay also has what's called the inflation-deflation watch, uh, which kind of gives a sense of whether there's more inflation or deflation going on uh, right now. Um, And basically what he's showing is that there is a potential for inflation uh, that's much more uh, than people thought in the past. Uh, One of the reasons that gold has moved up so dramatically from roughly $300 an ounce to now over $1,400 an ounce uh, is governments around the world have been Uh, deflating their economies, in fact, issuing lots of dollars, which is deflating the value of their currencies. Uh, When that happens, uh, people want to um, go into hard assets uh, because hard assets have a durability to them that paper money does not, so-called fiat currency. Um, And um, so that gives you the idea of it. Okay, we're going to go to Jay now. Uh, Jay, welcome to The Money Answer Show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice to be with you. I've kind of given a little bit of your background. And so let's get right into it here. Um, gold has had this enormous move uh, from roughly $300 an ounce for a long time now up to about $1,400 an ounce. W- why has it had such an enormous move over the last few years?
4: Well, I think the reason that uh, gold has done so extraordinarily well uh, is not because gold has changed or it's improved or anything is, uh, is, is so much different about gold. What's happened actually is the currency itself is being debased. So it isn't so much that gold is gaining value as it is the currency. Uh, you know, the dollar, and not only the dollar, but currencies around the world are becoming worth less. And the reason they are becoming worth less is because central banks are printing unlimited amounts of them. So it's, it's just like any time you increase a supply of something, you decrease the value. So now you look at things that are tangible and are worthwhile. Well, we had quite a run in real estate for sure if you look at even even after real estate prices have crashed if you look at the long term trend they've been higher a lot higher well everything that's tangible is gaining relative to the dollar and we're seeing it in copper we're seeing it in energy now with oil prices pushing up at 90 bucks uh or thereabouts and some uh, Goldman Sachs talking about $200 again for uh for oil so basically it's it's a story of the destruction of paper money, the destruction of fiat money, and fiat money is money by law. It's money that is decreed money, not because the markets have said we want to use these worthless paper dollars. They have no intrinsic value. It is because the politicians, the government under force of, force of law and guns, have basically said we have to use it. So if you go back uh, throughout centuries people have have automatically when they've been given the choice have chosen gold or silver as their medium of exchange think about it for a minute if you're going to go out and do something for somebody you want to make sure that what you're getting if you're getting money in return for the service or the product that you're selling has got some value and as long as people are confident in the paper money then uh, they're conned into the believing it has value it has value but once people start to realize, and the banking system started to fall apart, and the prices started to rise, and, you, and, you, and, you, and your purchasing power is reducing, then people are starting to, uh, to be, they're finding the dollar suspect. And this is happening, I think it happens, unfortunately it happens last among the average people, uh, you know, the hardworking, good middle American, uh, good, good people that really work hard and play by the rules, and the people who catch on first are the more sophisticated let's say bankers money people that are that are really watching these things and it is it is a it is a confiscation scheme to take to take wealth away from the people that produce it i like to say the miners manufacturers uh you know farmers inventors uh, people uh, doctors and and dentists and people who actually do something that help and make our lives better they are losing at the expense of Wall Street. And it's not just because there's some crooks on Wall Street, there are plenty of them, but it's more because the system is devised to allow Wall Street to pick the pockets of the rest of the American people.
2: Can you give us an example from history, Jay, where this kind of happened before and kind of what is the end game when the currency does become fully debased uh, as to what happens?
4: Yeah we can only hope and pray that doesn't happen in America but uh, you don't have to go very far back in history in fact right now in Zimbabwe and you know Zimbabwe is doing what Ben Bernanke's doing Zimbabwe thinks that you can print money and and bail yourself out of trouble um so Zimbabwe is a recent example but if you go into South America all the South American countries 10 20 years ago a lot of them anyway were having double and triple digit inflation of course the Weimar Republic in Germany before Hitler came to power it was one of the enablers things were so unstable and when you have what is referred to as hyperinflation where the prices are going up not by you know not not annually not monthly not weekly but hourly then the whole System breaks down, becomes very unstable. That is something we just have to hope and pray won't happen. And I'm not convinced that it will. Honestly, you know, because I think the United States, as the world's reserve currency, the main, the, the still the superpower of the globe with its military might, has got advantages other, that other countries don't have. Can go around, I think probably, and play a game. Um, you know and and basically tell other countries they've got to use our currency or else i mean in, in fact uh one of uh, the people i've had on my radio show john perkins who's written a book called uh, the uh um, the economic hitman confessions of an economic hitman believes very firmly that one of the main reasons we went into iraq had to do with uh with saddam hussein's insistence on using the euro instead of the dollar for his, for for the sale of oil, I, I've heard other people say that. I mean, I don't know how you would prove that for sure, but that may have been one of the reasons that we decided that we needed to take him out. The United States can, with all its military power, can basically go anywhere at once in the world, and uh, you know, and and play strong boy. Well, maybe it can't go to China. Maybe that's reaching out too far. But we can go. You know, I think our friends in Canada are somewhat intimidated by us, honestly, and I think most of our quote unquote friends are intimidated. So. I, and, and another thing about the United States and um, the owners of the world's reserve currency, because we do have the world's reserve currency yet, we, uh, you know, more more transactions are settled in dollars. I think sixty-five or seventy percent of all transactions around the world are still settled in dollars. And it's been true that throughout history, the uh, the the com- countries that own the foreign cur- the uh, world's reserve currency tend to do much they tend not to go into a hyperinflationary environment they tend not to go uh... but but in fact their currency tends to get strong if you go into a a deflationary environment like we had after the lehman brothers collapse and so i you know i honestly don't know which way this thing is going to go what i do believe with all my heart unfortunately is that it won't be a soft landing i do believe that the policymakers that we have now uh have all been educated with Keynesian economics all of us have been basically and we're told that what they're doing is the right thing well in the short run it might be the right thing but in the long run all we're doing is piling more debt on top of more debt and it cannot be repaid and so there's going to be a day of reckoning you know I don't know how it's going to play out so one of the things I try to do on my radio show and in my newsletter is uh is is talk to people who who are either on one side of the fence or another and tomorrow, I'm going to have a, a, a real deflationist on my show. Who, um, Ian Gordon, his name is, who believes that we're going to see a 1,000 on the Dow, uh, and and actually that Ian is very bullish on gold, thinks we'll go to 4,000 in gold in the gold price. Uh, you
2: you, you know, have I'm something called the Inflation Deflation Watch, or IDW. Yeah. Explain a little bit about how that works and where does it stand now, and what is that telling you? Yeah, what it's telling me now is that we are
4: really in an inflationary period of time. Uh, we that the that the policies of Mr. Bernanke are working; they are working now. They are reflating uh, because when we were following the Lehman Brothers collapse, we uh, you know we saw prices of everything fall. You know, we saw oil prices collapse. We saw even gold prices. Although gold didn't go down as much as almost everything else, it's purchasing power gained except against the dollar. We, uh, But, you know, what I was just saying a minute ago, I don't know which way this is going to play out. So what I want to do is not let my emotions or not let my uh, my predetermination or my, my, my biases uh, infect the way I invest my money. So what I I've, I've put together something I call my inflation-deflation watch, which is a composite. It's a non-weighted composite of all manner of um, commodities it's got oil it's got copper uh it's got stocks of all kinds it's got chinese stocks indian stocks s and 500 it's got housing stocks auto stocks uh it's it's in uh it's an attempt to try to get a sense of whether or not the global economy and the asset prices are expanding or contracting and so that i have some sort of numerical reference point rather than just my own feelings about things and uh, we saw this, um, we, we, we started out, I started this on January of 2005 at 100. It got up to 144, 145. It came down to below 100 after the Lehman Brothers collapse of 2008, 2009, and then it started back up very dramatically, rose very dramatically, to, uh, it's just recently hit a new high. It's 148, I think, or something like that. So what it's telling me right now we're in the inflation mode but i'm not convinced that it can last forever and the reason is because the to inflate the economy now you're not doing it with wealth you're not doing it with real money you're doing it with debt money what in what it, what investors and and listeners out there need to understand is that whenever money is created now it's it's not an asset money it's a liability money whenever you take out a loan to buy a car or a house or whatever, you have increased the money supply. Nothing has been created. There's no real wealth behind that. It's a loan, and basically it's just leverage. It's more debt, piled on more debt. So if I show a chart frequently in my newsletter that shows debt growing exponentially, I mean, it's just growing straight up off the chart, and, uh, and, and there's something like uh, $53 trillion of debt in the United States, all manner of debt between federal, local, state, uh, private sector, households, corporations, etc. And if you look at the same time on the same chart, you look at income, the growth of GDP in the country is growing in a straight, very shallow, uh, tilting line. So, you know, we're, we're projecting 3% or 3.5% GDP now. Well, the debt is growing at 12 and 15%. I mean, when, when Bush and Obama went out and issued uh, trillions of dollars to try to bail us out of the uh, post-Lehman Brothers, uh, all of us, you know, it, it felt good. It's like, a, I suppose, like a narcotic, you know, to people who are addicted to, to, to drugs. And it felt good for a while, but then there's a hangover, you know, and, and now we have the debt to re, be repaid. Right now, things seem to be going pretty good, and I hope that they do. I mean, there's the last thing I want is to have... Some sort of a meltdown, some sort of uh, you know hellish economy, so I can get rich in gold. That's not what I'm looking to do. What I do believe, though, is that there are big problems in the economy that have not been fixed, and therefore I think that gold, either uh, the nominal price or more importantly the real price, what an ounce of gold will buy, will continue to rise. But back to my inflation deflation watch, that is uh, is telling us right now that Bernanke's uh, uh, in the short run, at least, that his policies, um, his money printing policies, are working in the sense that it is creating higher prices. However, is it working in terms of the American public? We're seeing unemployment rates remain stubbornly high. We're seeing housing prices, uh, you know, not going anywhere seriously on the upside. Uh, and and I'm hearing predictions of an, of a, at least a five percent decline next year in housing prices. So you know is it really working well we we know the same policies were tried in the nineteen thirties and they did not work world war two some people think got us out of that depression So i'm not optimistic about where we are and where we're going but um, you know but but listen i'm just i'm just one person who li- tries to listen to a whole lot of different ideas on my radio show and i know and I know you do too. You know.
2: Okay, it, Jay, it, we're going to have to take a break. Actually, but I appreciate yeah. it. Um, my guest this half hour is uh, Jay Taylor. His uh, newsletter is called Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, his website is miningstocks.com. He is also a host on the Voice America Business as well. We'll be aft. We'll be back after this. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 one six three four. That's eight hundred seven zero seven one six three four. And don't delay because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business
0: Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Jay Taylor, who has a newsletter called Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. His website is miningstocks.com. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Well, thank you. Well, we clearly have the the case for why gold uh, should do well. Uh so there are different ways of playing gold. You you are a big believer that gold mining stocks are the best way to play that. Why mining stocks compared to uh say mutual funds or uh physical bo- gold bullion or something like that?
4: Yeah, well l- let me just say that, that is basically true what you said. I believe that I believe the greatest upside potential is with the gold mining shares. However, there is a higher level of risk with the shares than there are in holding the metal. So what I tell my subscribers is I'd like to have them have, uh, a, a portfolio, uh, I'd like to have them as a foundation to have some gold and silver bullion, either in, in their possession, uh, safe deposit box perhaps, although some people are, are worried of confiscation as, as that indeed happened in the 1930s. Uh, dot goldmoney.com is where I personally, um, you know, I, I own some gold there, goldmoney.com, it's on the internet. Uh, I, I know the story very well, the people, trust them, believe that's a good way to own gold and silver. Uh, But, yes, the the gold share is more, I think, uh, though i really advocate a a highly diverse portfolio. uh, uh, Don't back up the truck and get excited about any one stock. Buy a portfolio of them. And if you're more risk-averse, you should to the producers, the companies, the household names like the Newmonts, the Gold Corps, the agnico Eagle Eagles, you know, those companies that are around that are producing lots of gold and doing it profitably and they are doing it very profitably right now. But where the really big money is made in these major bull markets, and I think we have we're in a secular bull market for gold that I keep saying is the buy is the bull market of my lifetime, and I'm 63 years of, of age. I've, I saw one in the 70s. I'll not see another one bigger than this in my lifetime. This could go another five or 10 years. Uh, where the real big money is made is with the juniors, the guys that actually make the discoveries in the ground uh... the big companies are not really good at finding gold they are very good at producing it they've got the capital they've got the technological know-how the engineers the scientists that are required to produce the gold but they don't have the the corporate culture they don't have they're not uh... they're too risk averse to go out and put those high risk holes in the ground to find the gold and uh, the companies that are really good at that really make their shareholders wealthy and that's why my a preference is not even for the senior companies but for the junior mining companies and most of those i would say eighty five ninety percent of them are probably canadian because the canadians have the expertise in this area they have the geologists and the scientists that can really find the gold better than anybody else And so we're looking at for example there was a a a gold corp which is a major mining company took over another deposit another company bought out another company i think it paid something like nine hundred and some dollars per ounce in the ground so that, that shows you, uh, and, and maybe it cost that company thirty-five dollars, or fifty, or a hundred dollars. I don't even know right now to find the gold in the ground. So the the enterprise value for companies that find gold um, is, is it can be it can be very very big in a bull market like this.
2: How do you separate the uh, junior mining companies that have a, a good shot at actually producing gold and doing well for the shareholders, and those that will never find gold and you know, yeah. have good prospects, but it never kind of pans out.
4: Well, I think the best way to, to the, as with any business, the best thing to do, for starters, is looking at management. So there are companies, uh, if you have a management team that's done it before, uh, I would I would start out and then give a preference to those people as well. I, I guess, you know, I've been doing this for so long, since 1981, i actually been writing my newsletter. I've worked as a banker and did this as a hobby until 1997. Then I went full-time on it. But, uh, you know, I've taken geology courses. I've looked at, uh, I've, I've walked the outcrops with the geologist. I've learned to know a lot of the lingo. I've learned to get a sense of probabilities. Nobody knows for sure. But once you start to understand uh, a little bit more about it, you can wait. I think you can in, improve the probabilities of guessing right, and nobody ever knows for sure uh, until they put the drill core down, till they pull the drill core up, and they do this, um, you know, and they do enough samples to get a statistically accurate. Sense, uh, uh, not sense, but a measure of how much gold is really in a deposit. And, and every project is very much different. I mean, this is not an easy business. Every project, the economics are, are very, very different. So you could have, in some cases, you know, we're mining gold that's sometimes less than a gram per ton. And a gram, for those that are not used to the metric system, is like uh, you need like 30 tons, 31 tons of ore to get one ounce of gold out of it. Well, they're doing that profitably in some cases twice that amount of ore, sometimes 50 and 60 tons of rock, to get one ounce of gold. Well, in some cases, it could be very profitable if you have one gram per ton. In other cases, you know, 31 grams per ton or an ounce per ton may be uneconomic if it's in the Arctic Circle or someplace, and you have to build infrastructure and all that.
2: Why don't you give us an example of one or two junior mining companies that you talk about in your newsletter that you do think have good prospects right now?
4: Oh, there's there's really quite a few of them uh, I, I suppose one that I like really one of my favorites uh, and this is a company that is, that's earning money already they're producing gold in Peru the company's name is Dynacore gold mines and I don't know what the symbol is down here in the US it's DNG in Toronto but if they look it up they can it also trades down here and I and I purchased some for my own account it's in my newsletter they are producing I think they'll earn about eight or ten cents a share this year they're selling uh, mm, I, I think they're selling a around a dollar, but the big exciting thing here is that they have the potential to find something really, really big. Uh, So that would be one. Dynacor Gold Mines, uh, probably my favorite uh, among the producers, those that are in cash flow positive territory. Another one uh, that I really like an awful lot would be, um, let's see, there's... um, oceana gold is not really a junior though that's that's a producer i think it's probably it's selling at about three and a half or four dollars uh... they're producing from new zealand that's another favorite uh... o it trades that's the symbol uh, and then if we look down, uh, there's just so many. Of them. Magellan Minerals is one I like an awful lot with an exploration project in Brazil. Trades on the Toronto Exchange. And I, my apologies, I don't have the the U.S. ticker symbols here, but MNM is the symbol in Toronto.
2: How about uh, doing a broad-based exchange-traded fund? uh like the GDXJ which is a an index of a lot of the different juniors is that a better way a more diversified way to play? Yeah,
4: I think the GDXJ is one that I that would be a good way to play the junior sector. I, I do agree with that and I haven't uh you know, I actually thanks for reminding me that I, as I'm looking to start this year's portfolio it's it's something I meant to include. We have something in my newsletter we call our low budget low maintenance model portfolio which is geared for people who don't want to pick specific stocks but want to pick funds of funds, you know, have, uh, create a fund of funds. So that's a good way of doing it. I th- thank you for bringing that to my attention. Actually, <laughs> what, uh, you know, because it, it takes a lot of work to hone in on these on these
2: individual companies. What percentage of people's portfolio do you think should be in gold and gold mining shares these days?
4: Well, you know, uh, if you're a believer like I am that the system is melting down, that it's that it's uh, that we're in big big trouble, I can tell you personally what mine is, and I'm not advocating this for everybody, but I'm uh, I'm closer to fifty percent in gold and gold mining shares. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I, I, but I, but I don't know that this is right for most people. I mean, I, I am, I'm firmly of the view that we have big problems ahead, and we we could have another year or two though of expansion here. And so I, I, I have some short positions on the market that that are not working out very well right now. Yep. But I, I just think that the next shoe could drop any time uh... and you know I, I have a lot of cash too because i honestly believe if we do have another major decline as we had following lehman brothers there's going to be some fantastic buys in the gold mining sector and and what was what, what is most people don't understand is that lehman brothers was very very good for the gold mining industry yes the shares went down initially the price of gold went down initially but the price of gold went up relative to everything else so the uh, so that what an ounce of gold will buy increased very dramatically after the Lehman Brothers collapse. I like to look at it relative to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. The Rogers Raw Materials Fund before Lehman Brothers in August of 2008, an ounce of gold would have bought only about 15% of the fund. After Lehman Brothers in March of 2009, it would have bought uh, 44%. One ounce of gold would have bought 44% of that broad, bast- broad yes. basket of commodities, of of metals, foodstuffs, um, you know, base metals, precious metals, uh, all that. So, uh, and, and with that has come improved earnings for the gold mining sector, and that's really what's driving the majors. I really think we're going to see the majors starting to feed off of the juniors, and we're going to see a lot of money made in the junior sector uh, this year and next year. Very good.
2: Okay, we've got to end. Thanks so much, Jay. Uh, my uh, guest this hour has been Jay Taylor. His newsletter is called Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. His website is miningstocks.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Jay. Oh, thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure being with you. Thanks again. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.